As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is Sound Matters with Tom Liu. Visit us online at soundmatters.tv. This is Sound Matters with Tom Liu. And welcome to the show. I'm Tom Liu. Thanks for joining us here on the Sound Matters show, episode number 126. I want to throw it over to my co-host right here, producer and engineer of the Sound Matters show. It's Spencer Jacobson. Good morning, Spencer. How are you? I'm doing good, Tom. Broadcasting <laughs> from Sound Matters North. Isn't that what we call it? Yeah. You're Sound Matters Studios North, I guess. And I am uh, I call it down here in Florida, the Sound Matters Studios South. So yeah, we're bi-coastal or cross-country or whatever we are here. That's right. This is an interesting episode here, Spencer, right now, because uh, you and I are talking and we're doing this show and that people are listening to this right now on episode number 126. We are actually pre-recording this right now. And this is the first time we're doing this. We're doing this in a way where we're utilizing some technology and we're utilizing our different studios and things to be able to put the show together, produce the Sound Matter show here to air on WROK, like we've been doing for the last five years. Is it five and a half years now? I'm getting mixed up where... My um, years of time living in Florida and my years of time doing the show, they're a year apart. Five and a half years of the Sound Matter show, for those of you that are listening. If you've been listening to the show for any period of time, thank you so much. We do appreciate your support and listening to the show. You also know then that our website is soundmatters.tv, which is where all of our podcast episodes are. Anything that we've done the entire time this show's been on the air, they are all out there anywhere you get your podcast. But we're pre-recording the show right now to test out some technology because... You and I, Spencer, we've got some plans and we've got some things in the works to where we may, fingers crossed, it's not time to make any announcements yet, but perhaps we're going to be expanding the show's reach a little bit in the future, getting us out onto some other platforms, online, uh, radio stations, perhaps other things like that. We're working on that. And so in order to be able to do that, utilizing technology in the current day, we've had to figure out how to you know, do the show pre-recorded at our studios separately like we're doing right now. And we're also doing this right now. You can't hear this on the radio, but we're also on video right now, which is exciting for you and me because only one other time we've done this, but not exactly in this format. Right. So we're on camera, we're on mic, we're doing the show on ROK right now. How do you feel about it, my friend? Because there's a lot of plates spinning on both of our ends here. 
<laughs> absolutely it's crazy to be it's, it feels weird to be doing the show normally but from my basement you know normally i'm i'm at the radio station to do it but now i'm sitting at, i'm sitting in my nice office chair here in my basement got my whole studio set up here in front of me uh, i had to buy a little bit of additional things you know some some lighting and stuff to go with it so i could see my face a little bit better but uh it's so weird to be doing sound matters from a place uh, you know from home I guess, you know, yeah, it's weird as you're talking here, I'm flipping some camera angles that I have because our plan is again to continue to broadcast on WROK just like we are now and open the show. We're going to have guests. We entertain matters in music, marketing and motivation on this show. If it's your first time listening, welcome. Thanks for joining us. We talk about music. We talk about rock and roll. We talk about entertainment. We talk about a lot of different genres. As a matter of fact, we talk about sports even and other things. This show kind of crosses a lot of grounds and that's on purpose. And we hope it's entertaining and interesting, and that's our whole point. But um, we're doing video as well because we are going to be, hopefully in the near future here, putting some clips of the shows, both you and I here co-hosting the show together as we are now, and any of our other guests that we have, either calling into the show live or pre-recorded or guests and in interviews that I do and things like that, throwing some clips out there on the YouTube. I've done that sporadically, Spencer through the years, just a little bit here or there, but not a lot with the videos, I mean, because it's a lot of, of additional work and editing and post-production yeah. and stuff like that. But maybe for us doing this show this way now and recording it remotely and being able to edit it and have some days in between when we air things, we can get more content out there for the people that follow and are fans of this show. And that's really the whole goal. The more content we have out there, the more things people have to choose from to consume and it helps to expand the show's reach and our numbers and our downloads and our streams and all those things. And that's what we need. And so that's why we're doing all this. And it's kind of crazy. It's weird. We're going to listen back to this recording right here, to this show one day and be like, man, remember that day when we were figuring this out? It was really awkward. But now I can't imagine doing it any other way. Right? That's right. Yeah, the beginning, we'll look back at it. Hopefully it's, uh, hey, that was the beginning of something great. Something of, great. God, I can't believe we did that that one time. I like your uh, uh, your attitude about that. It was the beginning of something great. And it, sounds, yes. it sounds all dramatic and everything. But yeah, <laughs> we're looking at each other on video here, which honestly, I've always wanted to do, and I've only done little bits of it in the past, but it helps us too with our back and forth. We got eye contact now, we yeah. got nonverbal and the flow and things. And all this is just kind of radio production geek talk. I realize the average listener is probably like, I don't know what all that means anyway. You know, but look, we're just kind of, we're pulling the curtain back here on what we do on the show. We do it on the morning show a lot on WROK as well, when you and I both fill in on that show regularly with Joe and Riley. But uh, we're doing it here on the Sound Matter show, and I'm really excited about it. So I'm not saying we're never going to do a live show again on ROK on Saturday mornings like we've done for five and a half years. But for now, we're going to do it this way. I think it's important to have options. You know what I mean, yes, Spencer? I do too. If all goes well, this will be the last time anyone hears us talking about how we're <laughs> doing something, you know, Marvel to to us. Uh, we're just going to just go right into it, get right into the groove of things like we've been in the groove of things for five years now. And it'll just flow like the old show. I don't want, I don't even like calling it the old show. The it'll old show. Flow like the show has always flown. That's how... Ideally, this will all go for us. And that is worthy of applause. That was a there great speech. I like that. See? 
Do we have here? So this is what we do here on the Sound Matter Show. We have all kinds of fun stuff that we can do. So we're going to continue to grow and evolve and advance, and that's really what it's all about. So we've got a good show for you here today. Spencer and I have got a bunch of music news to talk about here. A lot of stuff happened. We've got some sad news. We're going to talk about a passing in music, which is a very common thing we do here. And we got some other fun stuff to talk about music news-wise, stuff that has to do with movies and things. As we move along on this evolution of the Sound Matters show, my name's Tom Liu. When we come back, we've got some more music news to talk about and um, a few other items that you're not going to want to miss. So stick around here on the Sound Matters show. We'll take a fast break. We'll be right back after these. Don't go away. Packaway Self Storage. If you need to store it, they've got you covered. Call or text Art for a killer quote at 815-877-7222. That's 815-877-7222. Featuring climate-controlled storage for your personal belongings, business, and retail merchandise, at Packaway Self Storage, your stuff is safe. Plus, they maintain security lights, cameras, and private fencing throughout. Big or small, it doesn't matter as they offer many different size spaces for your things, from 5 by 10 up to 12 by 20 foot units. Packaway Self Storage has two state line locations, 9731 North 2nd Street, just south of Bed Bath & Beyond on Highway 251 in McChesney Park, and 918 Blackhawk Boulevard, two blocks north of Taylor Freezer in Rockton. Packaway Self Storage. Remember, just call or text ART at 815-877-7222. That's 815-877-7222. All right, welcome back to the Sound Matter Show. I'm Tom Liu, your host. Spencer Jacobson is here. This is episode number 126 we're broadcasting from WROK today. Soundmatters.tv is our website. Check us out there. A little Bon Jovi for you coming back in. At the time of this here, we have some sad news to report. Earlier this week, we got news that uh, original Bon Jovi bassist Alec John Such from Bon Jovi passed away this week. He was 70 years old and uh, was, like I said, an original founding member of the band. There's not a lot of details right now as to the cause of death or the reason for the passing. Hopefully it's just natural causes type of a thing, but we don't know. You never know in rock and roll. Well, you never know in anything, uh, sports, music, <laughs> movies, you never know what happens, but uh, hopefully it's nothing nefarious, you know, that way. But uh, Alec John Such passed away age 70. There was a statement that was issued from the Bon Jovi camp earlier this week, a couple of days ago at the time of this, it actually came from, and the way this is worded, I'm going to read this here. It probably looked like it was written from John Bon Jovi himself. It came out on all of the Bon Jovi social media. It says the following quote, we are heartbroken to hear the news of the passing of our dear friend, Alec John such he was an original as a founding member of Bon Jovi. Alec was integral to the formation of the band. To be honest, we found our way to each other through him. He was a childhood friend of Tico, Tico Torres, the drummer of Bon Jovi, and brought Richie Sambora, original guitarist from Bon Jovi, to see us perform. Alec was always wild and full of life today. Those special memories bring a smile to my face and a tear to my eye. We'll miss him dearly. And I'm quite certain, Spencer, that's probably, it sounds like it was written from John Bon Jovi himself in this case and stuff. So... 
Alec John Such Spencer, he's not a household name in rock and roll. Certainly he was in a household name rock and roll band, rock and roll Hall of Fame band Bon Jovi from a few years ago. Really what was written there was really the key thing. He was instrumental in bringing the band together. He was older than the other guys, him and the drummer Tico, much older, I think a good 10 years or so older than the other guys in the band and uh, was a veteran of the New York, New Jersey club scene. That's how he knew Tico. John Bon Jovi at the time, back in the late 70s, early, you know, 1980, a uh, young kid up and coming. And uh, somehow Alec John Such and, and John Bon Jovi's paths crossed and got into the band. And as that news clip there that I read, Alec got Tico into the band and then Richie. And then, you know, he helped form the band in so many ways and stuff. And yeah. So he was an integral part of it. He was in the band from the, I think it was 82 or 83 all the way to 1994, and in which time uh, current bassist for Bon Jovi, Hugh McDonald, took over and has been in the band ever since and is the current bass player in Bon Jovi. So it's it's always a big deal, Spencer. You know, we've done a lot of episodes where we've talked to, unfortunately, we've had to talk about a lot of, mm. of musicians, well-known musicians from a lot of different genres who have passed away. It's always kind of sad. This guy, again, not as well-known, but as a member of Bon Jovi in the eighties, you know, he was a big part of that band and they were of course enormous back then and stuff. So this one kind of hit me hard too. Yeah. It was just a guy whose face was everywhere back then. And, uh, to hear that he passed away is, is pretty sad, you know, and it was, it was the rock and roll world, like always, when there's these kinds of things happen, just lots of tweets and support going out there and everything. Yeah. So I, I know you're probably not a huge Bon Jovi fan or anything. You probably didn't know a lot about Alec, but um, you know it's always tough when somebody passes away. You know it is. It is. I was I was surprised reading about it about the whole thing. How many people it seems Alec has personally touched in his life. A lot of people really really like the man personally. Forget all of the music. Forget all of the rock star, all the rock stardom that comes yeah. with being the bassist of Bon Jovi. It seems like a lot of people really enjoyed just having him around. Uh, which is not something you see people specify always when an artist passes. Uh, you'll see, you know, oh, the music was great. The influence on the music was great. Uh, the influence on the band. But here with Alec, it was, you know, much more of a, yes, his influence on Bon Jovi was undoubted, but his personal influence on everybody in that yeah. band too was a big thing. And that's something, you know, like you said, I'm not a crazy Bon Jovi fan. I know the band just fine, but never knew that about them. Never knew that there was that kind of a, a tightness between the members. One of the things about Bon Jovi that I always knew through the years and was always reported on in the magazines to a certain extent and books that I read, biographies and things, Bon Jovi from the beginning was always a real tight knit group and a real closed group. They were not you know, you didn't see a lot of tabloid stuff about Bon Jovi. There wasn't a lot of that kind of stuff, that salacious stuff that some other bands, you know, put out there on purpose and used to, to you know, promote themselves more and things like that. Bon Jovi never did that. They were kind of a, I think they called it the New Jersey Syndicate or something like that. They always had that thing and they tried to keep their band business and their, you know, whatever dirty laundry they had, anything like that. They tried to keep that out of the press and inside the camp only. And they only, they were really... Uh, diligent about controlling what they put out there for the world to see and consume and things like that. And that all kind of changed a little bit of several years ago when Richie Sambora left. And, you know, there was a little bit of bad blood with Richie and John and Richie was doing some time in some, uh, some rehab stuff and some battles with alcohol and things. And that all came out later, but all those years, the heyday of Bon Jovi in the eighties and 
And in the 90s and the 2000s, you hardly heard anything about any of that. Compare it to, say, a band like, I don't know, Motley Crue or (laughs) stuff like that, where every detail, every crazy thing was was out there and was public knowledge. You know, Bon Jovi was always very careful about that. I think they still are to this day. So it's going to be interesting to see what transpires here with regards to you know, cause of death for Alec and things like that. But um, one other last thing about this with Alec, and by no means is this meant to disparage him in any way, because these are facts that what a lot of people don't know is that all those Bon Jovi records, those classic Bon Jovi albums from the 80s and into the early 90s, Alec, aside from, I think, just a few tracks here or there, I don't know exactly the count, but he didn't do a lot of the bass recording of those albums. Yeah, what you're hearing in most cases when you hear the Bon Jovi music, any Bon Jovi music, the old stuff or the newer stuff, is Hugh McDonald, who's playing bass, who's the current Bon Jovi bassist, as I mentioned a few minutes ago. He was a studio musician back then and, and played bass on many of the Bon Jovi albums back in those days. Why that is? Well, you can only speculate. Apparently, you know, Alec was in the band as a touring musician. He was uh in the albums and all the pictures and on all the posters and all that. He was a member of Bon Jovi, no doubt about it. I'm not taking that away. But what I didn't know until recent years was that he didn't do much of the recording. Yeah. He was in the band as a touring. Hugh McDonald did. I understand that too from a certain aspect, Spencer, because there's a lot to, there's a difference between being a, live music performer and then a studio musician now, oh huge huge some people I mean, can, the difference between technical work too and live and studio it's they're yeah. wildly different facets of music that's a really good point yeah uh, definitely audio production live versus you know doing uh, something like this like recording mm-hmm. a radio show or, 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 or whatever or podcast production things like that but yeah alec didn't do a lot of the recording and so i can only assume that you know perhaps uh his chops as a bass player were better suited for the live environment that's being politically yeah. correct there and hugh was a studio musician is and, and could pull it off in the studio where maybe alec couldn't I don't know. I don't want to speculate and put words, but what else would it be? You know, right. And and that's a far more common practice, Spencer, in music, any genre than you might realize. Bands that you know of and love with famous members, sometimes a lot, actually, studio musicians are playing a lot of the times on the records. Maybe not all the tracks, but definitely on some. And that's a that's kind of one of the uh, little known secrets in music that, that that happens quite a bit. So I'm not surprised to hear that in this case, but I was surprised they kept that under wraps for decades. Uh, yeah. Bon Jovi. So pretty interesting. That is pretty interesting. Uh, what's a, what would be another big example? Would uh, would you go with the Beatles for uh, an example of mm. difference between live and studio uh, recorders with uh, Ringo and the drums? I mean, I I'd read yeah. before that Paul had gone back and overdubbed his his own drums on plenty of tracks. You know, uh, for studio stuff. That's a great question. He did that some. Paul did that some. I, I don't know. I mean, and there could be, there's probably Beatles scholars out there that know more about sure. this than I do. I know he did that on some, but not, I don't know that I would say it was a lot. Ringo played on most of the, the Beatles tracks, unless I'm mistaken on that. But that's my understanding from all I've read and documentaries I've watched, which yeah. are many through the years. But Paul did play drums on some of his stuff and they switched instruments a lot. Sometimes mm-hmm. John played bass when Paul yeah, was playing Yeah, those dudes keyboards. were also talented. They could hop around and, and right. do just fine. Yep. So, and there were some tracks, I think the Ballad of John and Yoko, that Beatles track, I think 
that was just, I don't know, there's only two or three of the guys did all the tracks on that or something oh. of the instruments. It depends on the song, and this is well-documented, especially with the Beatles. There's just countless books on this and who recorded what. And right. It was, it was take number 79 <laughs> that made it on to you know, the final recording of the bass guitar or, or whatever, you know, things like that. Yeah. But uh, it's an interesting thing. to. I personally love all that. I think it's really fascinating Absolutely. to find out you know, who recorded what and how and what made it onto the album. At the end of the day, most fans of music, when you go to see a band live, you buy a concert ticket, most fans don't care who played on the album. They like the song. They love the song. They bought a concert ticket. They're there. The song is being played on the stage and they know all the words and they sing along to the chorus. Most right. people don't care. Studio guys, musician guys like me, we care. We're interested in that and other people like that. But for the most part, most people don't. But uh, Alec John Such, uh, 70 years old, rest in peace, Bon Jovi, I uh, I hope that it's not bad news as far as how he passed, but uh, we'll uh, report on that when that news comes out again. So wanted to hit on that. When we do take a break here, we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about a really interesting piece, Spencer, that you and I were talking about off the air, speaking of concert tickets and classic rock, because at this point, we have to include Bon Jovi into the bucket of classic rock. Category. Absolutely. To some people. I know for some people, classic <laughs> rock means like Led Zeppelin and the Beatles, and perhaps Yes, they are too, but these days bands like Bon Jovi and others are now considered the new classic rock. So right. speaking of that, we've got some news on classic rock fans and how much they pay for concert tickets compared to other genres. So it's a really interesting piece. We'll be right back after these. Don't go away. All right, welcome back to the Sound Matters show. We got a little Bob Seeger for you, right? There. I haven't heard that one in a long time, Spencer. Uh, the old time rock and roll. It's a great choice, actually, for leading into this segment. This is episode 126 of the Sound Matters show. I'm Tom Lou. Spencer Jacobson's here with me. If you're watching this on video, which I know some of you are like, wait, what? Video? Yeah, we've got some video going too. We're uh, broadcasting the show this way. We're pre recording some things and we're using technology. We got video now. Spencer has to stare at my face the whole time here. So <laughs> he's getting a raise. Uh, <laughs> I'm staring at his face. I'm getting a raise. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're having a lot of fun doing the Sound Matters show this way. And WROK, if you're in the Rockford, Illinois area, if you're somewhere else in the country and you're listening to us on the WROK app, which is a free download, by the way, for iOS or Android, welcome. We're glad you're here every Saturday. 10 a.m. to 12 noon here in the central time zone. Soundmatters.tv, that's the website. Always want to plug that because if you haven't been out there, you should check it out. There's all kinds of podcast episodes there, history of the show, many, many different kinds of episodes through five and a half years. So go check that out. But I thought it was fitting, Spencer, that song you played coming in, old time rock and roll, classic rock. That's right. Is in the news here. We talk about a lot of this. I'm fascinated, Spencer, with the music business and you know, all of it from recording to concert stuff to the marketing end of it and the PR and how all of that stuff works. And great article that you and I were talking about, we found this week on classic rock fans pay more for concert tickets than anyone else. I want to throw it to you. Read us a little bit of this piece here before we comment on it. This really stopped me in my tracks. I wasn't surprised, but a little bit when I started looking at the numbers, which we're going to talk about here in a second. What's this all about? Reading from ultimateclassicrock.com, uh, According to a recent study by Finance Buzz, classic rock is the most expensive genre of music to see live. The study looked at concert industry data for 800 of the top touring acts from 2017 to 2021. 
Across that time frame, the average ticket price for a classic rock artist was $119.14. For comparison, the next highest price was nearly $20 less, uh, with pop concerts averaging $100.65 per ticket. Fans' wallets took less of a hit at rock and alternative concerts, which came in average prices of $85 and $63, respectively. The cheapest genre was Christian music, with an average ticket price of less than $40. The most expensive average ticket price for any individual artist belonged to Bruce Springsteen. The boss had an average ticket price of $508.93, thanks to his hugely successful Springsteen on Broadway run. The classic rock legend far outweighed the most expensive pop star, Lady Gaga, whose ticket price averaged $337.43. Metallica had the most expensive rock tickets with an average of just less than $230, while the Strokes were the priciest alternative act, coming in at $126.70. That's what you get when there's a genre generating more than $3.5 billion in ticket sales in the past five years, yeah. ranking only behind pop artists who brought in $5.2 billion. So it's more expensive to go to a rock, to a classic <laughs> rock concert than a pop concert, but the pop industry is pulling more money down. So the big question that this begs then is, well, why, right? I mean, what could be some of the reasons? Then I think we could probably... All of us could probably figure this out a little bit, or we could we could ascertain some some reasons for that. But you figure a classic rock artist, um, a classic rock fan, I should say, not always. Nothing is absolute, but a majority sure. of them might be older people, people more my age, uh, people in their you know forties, uh, fifties, beyond. Or you know, sure, there's younger classic rock fans as well. But people that are older, generally, I'm sure the demo statistics would support that. And on average, probably people that are older have more disposable income in many cases. And so they can afford to pay for higher price tickets, 500 mm-hmm, bucks to go mm-hmm. see Bruce Springsteen or whatever. Whereas maybe for pop fans, a lot of younger fans, you know, their careers aren't fully formed yet. They're not fully out there. They don't have as much money as they're going to earn eventually, et cetera. I think that right. makes sense. But yeah, classic rock by genre, average ticket price, and you kind of went down there. Classic rock on the top of this, looking at this graph here, classic rock, pop, Latin, and then rock, and then it goes to hip-hop, which I was surprised at that. I thought hip-hop would maybe be higher up on this category uh, as far as pricing than some of the others, but apparently not. Then R&B closely follows hip-hop, performance, folk, comedy, country, alternative rock, EDM, and as you mentioned, Spencer, the Christian genre being the least expensive of all, which is not surprising to me at all. But uh, the other thing with this is this right now, when we're, when we're doing that, we're talking about this in 2022, we spent a lot of time on this show, Spencer, over the last couple of years, talking about the impact that COVID had on the music business, on the touring business, on the entertainment business. Nobody was doing anything for almost two years, a year and a half, two years that way. And now seemingly everybody's back out there. So now there's another dynamic at play here, which is fascinating to me. And that is everybody's touring the competition for a concert ticket is even higher than it was before the pandemic. And so I wonder how this is going to play out going forward with this whole ticket price thing. Some acts may have to. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lower their prices in order to be more competitive, to put more butts in seats, as they say. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I think... I think if we were to do this five years from now, which, hey, let's plan on it. Five years from now, we'll check back in and see who's still the most expensive concert ticket. I think it's definitely going to change. Uh, I think that the pandemic's definitely going to affect some people who are going to be more willing to go out to a concert now because they've missed out on two years, roughly, of going out to concerts. They're going to be very gung-ho. And even if those prices are high, they're going to be like, hey, well, guess what? I haven't spent that money for two years, so I'm going to now. I think we could see either an ing- a surge in those ticket prices, or we could see the disparity between top and bottom come a lot closer mm. together, uh, just because there's more people going out there constantly to be on tour. So I'm, I'm curious yeah. to see uh, see what happens. I think I think your uh, reasoning on why the prices might be a little bit higher is right on. I think it's an older audience. I think it's one of those two. They they know they've got a built-in audience too, so they can charge this because yeah. it's it's just one of those. Hey, well, our tickets were two dollars back when we first started in the seventies. Uh, we yeah. we've earned the right to charge a little more now. Yeah, um, that that's true. That could be the case. An interesting stat on here too, Spencer, and you, I think you alluded to it a little bit when you were reading that intro here. But there's another graphic on this article. It says total ticket sales by genre. 20, and by the way, this data they're pulling from 2017 through 2021, so at least a good year into the you know the pandemic. But uh, total ticket sales by genre. Now, in this case, even though classic rock tickets is individually, according to what you read, priced the highest, pop music genre generated. billion in total ticket sales in this 2017 to 2021 time period, whereas classic rock number two on the list, again, total ticket sales by genre, not just individual ticket pricing, classic rock 3.55 billion. So not even close, really, almost not quite 2 billion difference. So pop music sells a lot more tickets in total, according to this, than, than classic rock, but classic rock priced higher. So pop is the top ticket sales by genre, then classic rock, then rock, country, alternative rock, hip hop, one, two, three, four, five, sixth down on the list. That surprises me. 923 million in total ticket sales, hip hop genre for the years 2017 through 2021. Not even a billion where Mm -hmm. classic rock, three and a half billion, pop, five and a quarter billion. You read things in the music press, though, and it talks about hip hop is the you know the number one genre. 
Not according to this, at least not no. with live, not according to live ticket sales, concert ticket sales, maybe streaming and things like that. Again, what are we talking about? Are we talking about downloads and streaming numbers? Are we talking about concert tickets? You know, these are different things, of course, and the, the numbers bear out differently. Yep, that's a, that's a good point. And then a couple other things really quick here before we end up this segment and run the commercial. Most expensive tickets by genre. You, you hit on a couple of these. Classic rock, Bruce Springsteen, the top. Uh, $508 pop Lady Gaga. I think you mentioned $337 a ticket. And then you get into some other genres. You know, you mentioned Metallica rock 229. There's a Latin artist here, Marco Antonio Solis. I think that's how you say that. I'm not familiar, but not two, sure. <laughs> 261 bucks a ticket. Uh, and then uh, R&B Usher comes in 220 a ticket. Country, George Strait, 170 bucks. Comedy, Dave Chappelle. 166 bucks a ticket. That's interesting. Dave's the, yeah. the most expensive comedian out there running around. I found that interesting. They've got Jimmy Buffett in here in the folk category. I don't know. I'd put Jimmy Buffett in classic rock, but whatever. Uh, 131 bucks. And then it goes on down from there. The top ticket price getter for hip hop, Jay-Z and Beyonce, the husband and wife team, 117 bucks. And it goes from there. Fascinating stuff. I, yeah. I think it's interesting how money's being spent. This thing is going to change. It's going to be fluid. I think we're going to see some differences as time goes on. And all of these numbers, I find it really, really interesting. This is Sound Matters. This is episode 126. I'm Tom Lou. Spencer Jacobson's here. Soundmatters.tv. Check us out when you get a chance when you're online. And we'll be back right after these. Don't go away. This portion of the show is brought to you by 16 Imaging Photography. Visit us at 16imaging.com. That's 16imaging.com for fine art prints, to book shoots, and to schedule one-on-one -on -one photography coaching for you or someone you know. 16 Imaging. Seeing things literally through lenses, figuratively, despite filters. Welcome back to the Sound Matter Show. I'm Tom Liu, episode 126. Little Kenny Loggins for you there. Spencer, that's a fun one. Like that song. I liked it the first five million times I heard it too, <laughs> starting all the way back in 1986. Of course, everybody knows that song from the Top Gun uh, film, the original Top Gun that yeah. came out in 1986. Spencer, I'm old enough to remember, obviously, when the original Top Gun came out, I went and saw it at the theaters, on and on and on it goes. And we're talking about this, of course, right now, because Top Gun Maverick, Spencer, is the new blockbuster film out right now. At the time of this taping of this show, of this episode of Sound Matters, it is all the rage. I have not seen it yet, but you have. Give us the report. What's the, uh, the quick movie review on this? Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. Where are you at on, on Top Gun Maverick? Two big thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And if I could grab my dad and bring him down here in front of the camera, in front of the microphones, uh, he'd, luck he'd say that. the same, same thing, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, we both we both went and saw it last week and okay. thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, to give you some context also, I had never seen the original Top Gun until about three days before we went and saw the new one. 
Okay, good. Because that was going to be my question for you. Sorry to interrupt really quick. No, yeah. I wanted to know if you see had you had seen the original one before seeing the sequel. I assumed that you had, but I'm, you, you clarified that now. So. Yep. Did yep. you like when, the original too? I did like the original. I uh, caught it on Amazon Prime. You can watch it in ultra high def there, which is really worth it. They really upscaled the film nicely, um, so it looks nice on modern screens and everything. I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. I watching it, it was one of those. I fully understood why. It was famous. The soundtrack was fun, exciting, very 80s. And uh, a lot of the, yeah, a lot of, you know, some of the acting doesn't quite hold up. Some of the writing and stuff feels aged a little bit. Mm. Um, But then when you see the visuals and everything they did with that, uh, with the whole film too, it was ahead of its time. It really felt ahead of its time. The cooperation with the Navy to get the actual fighter jets in there doing cool stuff. All of that uh, really, really well done and set the stage for this sequel that came out uh, within the last couple of weeks. And my God, it uh, it just blows the original one out of the water in my mind. Uh, they just did everything that they did in the first one better. I'm um, kidding. It's, a, it's got a good heart to it. There's some good acting. They don't try to like dive too deep on, you know, human morals of being a fighter. You know, none of that. It's fairly straightforward. A good cast of characters, uh, good acting. The dialogue doesn't make me cringe. So I'm always, <laughs> I'm always into that. That's good. And yeah. And then the actual <laughs> action sequences are top notch. Some of the best stuff you'll ever see in any film because it's all done practically. All of the planes flying around in the new Top Gun Maverick. None of it's CG. There's no green screen for any of that. They actually put all of those actors and actresses into the planes themselves and flew them around with real fighter pilot, naval fighter pilots doing stuff, um, which makes it that much cooler to see. Because as you're watching it, a lot of times you're like, is that real what I'm looking at? Well, 99% of the time it's real. There's very little green screen and CGI after effects used in the film, which takes it up a notch for me. You can feel the passion in this passion project of Tom Cruise's come through. I'm really glad they made a new one. I'm glad they delayed it as long as they did because the product that did come out of all of that really, really is good. I'm impressed. So far, every review I've heard from yourself here and anybody else I've listened to or read about are saying very similar things. It was great. It was fantastic, which it's an unlikely hit. I mean, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise, but a sequel from a movie that's 36 years old at this point, it's not likely to be a big hit. But not only is it a big hit, I heard a stat, maybe you heard this too. Don't know if it's for sure, but I think it is. It's coming from some pretty reliable places I've read. The highest grossing opening of Tom Cruise's career. Oh, maybe, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe not just the opening and the opening weekend, but maybe period, perhaps. It's, it's this movie is shaping up to be the biggest hit of his entire career. Tom Cruise, that's saying something. That whatever is. you think about the guy personally, whatever you think about his antics, his beliefs, whatever, whatever, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is the movie. Of all the great Tom Cruise films, and there's many, for this one to be the biggest hit so far right now, amazing. So That says I'm, something. I'm really excited about seeing this. Top Gun, the original, was a movie that was a slow burn for me. I saw it back in the day, like I said, but I didn't love it at first. Through the Mm -hmm. years, I think the nostalgia of it affected me. And when it's on TV today and I happen upon it on TV, I'll always watch it. 
Yeah. I know all the scenes. I know most of the dialogue. Sure. I know all the stuff now. It's become one of those things. It's a pop culture timepiece is what it is. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see the new one. But this story about Kenny Loggins here that I have regarding the, the song Danger Zone from the first movie, Kenny wasn't the original choice to sing the song Danger Zone. This article from Ultimate Classic Rock here says, it can be difficult to divorce movie soundtrack songs from the artists to sing them because they become a staple of the pop culture lexicon. But with outside songwriters crafting these blockbuster hits many times and farming them out to superstar musicians... The artists who end up performing them often aren't the first choice, as Kenny Loggins recently reminded reporters at the Top Gun Maverick movie premiere. Loggins famously lent his voice to Danger Zone, the pop rock smash from the original Top Gun in 1986 that peaked at number two behind Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer. The song, which reappears in the long gestating Top Gun Maverick, became one of the biggest hits of Loggins' career, although he was far from the first choice to sing it. He says, quote, there were supposed to be three or four other acts on the hook before me, and they all dropped out, Logan said. I know Kevin Cronin from REO Speedwagon said, I dropped out because the notes were too high. He couldn't hit the high notes. So you never know why somebody's going to be in or out. Um, he also goes on to say in a separate interview, Logan said, dropped out several other names that were supposedly in the running to perform the song Danger Zone. It's urban legend now, he says, but a bunch of people claim it. Mickey Thomas claims it for Jefferson Starship. Toto claims it, that they had a shot at an REO Speedwagon, as I mentioned, but he said, I got it. Songwriters Giorgio Moroder and Tom Whitlock also allegedly approached Brian Adams and Corey Hart, who was a pop star in the 80s, to perform the song. Neither option panned out, and so it goes from there and stuff. So yeah, Kenny didn't write the song, and he wasn't the first choice, but he did it, and it became a big, huge hit, and we don't know it any other way. And it would, seems weird to even think about anybody else singing oh, that yeah. song now that it's become you know part of the culture. But it's really interesting. And I heard a rumor, too, that recently, or Kenny wanted to or did record Danger Zone or re-recorded it and then wanted to have it in the movie, presented it to Tom Cruise. Tom said, no, thanks. The original is fine. I don't know if that's true, but it's a fun story nonetheless. So, all right, we're going to wrap up the Sound Matter Show, episode 126. This is Sound Matters with Tom Liu. Visit us online at soundmatters.tv. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 